Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So I just want to take you back a few years to when uh, Kathleen Wynne was the Premier of Ontario and this madness was taking place as far as power is concerned. And people were heating their homes with their barbecues or just going cold and hungry. So, our National Post points out, Canada already has one of the cleanest electricity grids in the world, with more than 84% of electricity generated from sources like hydro, nuclear, and wind. Gas-powered plants are also often used as backup for wind and solar. You hear that, Mr. Gobo? They're backup for wind and solar? Why? Well, when they're not producing. And that does happen. And after I speak with Daniel Smith tomorrow, the Premier of Alberta, who's starting this program, based on these uh, statements by the Federal Environment Minister, we're going to be speaking to a European guest who's heard all this before and will share with us what it's done to Europe. Uh, Daryl, on our text line, 877-399-9898, Daryl from uh, New Brunswick. Hey, Roy. Also have a background in oil field processes besides blowing charges into wells to find resources. Uh, we were so careful on environmental issues. I don't doubt it, Daryl. But Mr. Mr. Giroux, or not Mr. Giroux, Mr. whatever his name is, uh, Stephen Gilbo. Gilbo, I call him the tower climber, um, is... Bound and determined to uh, take natural resources, fossil fuels, out of the equation of creating electricity. And just remember, folks, the Chancellor of Germany came here. He didn't come here to hear about hydrogen being transported across the ocean by ship from a facility that doesn't exist. And a uh, science that hasn't quite developed the process yet. And then the uh, and Mr. Trudeau said, well, there's no business case to be made for that. Well, why do you think Schultz came all the way from Germany? He's not a dummy. He came here asking for, for natural gas. And then, then he was followed by the prime minister, or the, 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 yeah, the prime minister of, uh, of Japan came with the same request. He went home empty-handed as well. Okay, I know she can't wait. I know she can't wait to speak to us. Catherine Swift. We generally hear Catherine as um, a charter member of our Beauties and the Beast panel. But Catherine is also the president of the Coalition of Concerned Manufacturers and Businesses of Canada, past president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. So, Catherine, what about Mr. Gilbo and his plan? How long have we got, Roy? We have, oh, a little while. (laughs) Well, actually, we've been doing a lot of work on this issue at the Coalition because electricity is so important, frankly, to everybody. Hugely important to business, hugely important to households. Uh, As you said, you know, that we've been faced because of stupid policies in Ontario a number of years ago and continuing those stupid policies. 
people have, for the first time in Canada, faced energy insecurity and the old decision, do I heat or do I eat? And, and that's appalling in a country like Canada, which is rich, so rich with natural resources. But this latest statement, I'm, I'm not surprised. This is, the, this is the result you get when you put somebody who's an activist in a position of power. You know, they can be a lobbyist somewhere and lobby for their very narrow, you know, perspective on things, which is not balanced, does not take anything into consideration except their very own narrow, you know, point of view. But when you put them in, in cabinet of a country like he is, that's, that's, uh, that, that's a big, big mistake. And here we're, here we're getting no concern for the well-being of Canadians, no concern for a big chunk of the country. And pursuing this goal, and you said it, uh, Canada's already 84% clean grid, electricity grid. In Ontario, it's 93. Uh, we're, we're almost there. And to put more pain on everybody, and particularly the western part of the country, is totally absurd under those circumstances. We've got all kinds of constitutional issues that are going to be kind of interesting here. But what I love is when Guivo said, oh, it's just, just, just a tiny little increase in rates, you know? We heard the same thing in Ontario. Do you remember? Oh, I, yes, I do remember. Fuel. Yeah. I spoke with the people who were most directly affected. And I spoke with uh, a city um, charity uh, director who had great concern that someone was going to die because of the, the extremes they were forced to go to to try to heat their homes in the winter. Exactly. I remember hearing about people who couldn't afford the heat in their homes, so what they do is they had an electric blanket, and they and their children would be under the electric blanket through the cold nights. It's, it's just it's outrageous. It's, and and uh, Daniel Smith and, and Scott Moe are 100% right. Uh, many, many, many experts are saying this is unachievable, by 2035, which is their so-called arbitrarily arbitrary deadline, by the way. There's, there's absolutely no reason we have to do this by a certain year. Um, and uh, it, what this does to national unity, what it does to our country's economy, because I know a lot of Canadians that aren't in, say, Alberta, Saskatchewan, they probably think, oh, well, not my problem. That's Alberta's problem or whatever. But that is totally untrue. Uh, so many businesses, I know in my coalition, so many businesses are interdependent in one way or another with businesses in Alberta. Alberta sends billions of transfer payments, uh, equalization payments to other parts of the country, notably Quebec, which is the big winner. Quebec should be thinking long and hard right now. They get about $13 billion a year, which is a pretty big chunk of change, from transfer payments, the majority of which come from Alberta. Have they even thought, gee, we're going to be missing a big chunk of our, of our budget there? If that, if that economy in Alberta gets decimated. So I, I'm very thankful that we have strong premiers right now in Alberta and Saskatchewan to fight back against this garbage. And frankly, all Canadians should be with them. All Canadians should be backing them because this particular federal government is, is destructive to Canada. I'm sorry, I, I never used to think that because I thought I had my tinfoil hat on or something, but I've concluded it's destructive to Canada in so many ways. Uh, this is one of them, the horrible increase in crime, the mess of our, you know, our financial situation as a country and so on. And, you know, I, I know I'm being redundant here, but let's never forget that Canada is 1.5% of emissions of the world. Yeah, let me Anything read you. we do is chump change here. And yet, we want to punish our own colleagues, our own citizens, uh, for a minuscule, minuscule, if any, reduction in emissions. Let me read you a little bit of the news release from the Montreal Economic Institute from last Thursday. And uh, 
The uh, one of the authors of the Institute's report, Renaud Brossard, is going to be on this program tomorrow. And uh, they write, the Canadian economy lags behind in terms of productivity, so we're a laggard among the G7 countries. That's the, uh, that's the uh, headline. Uh, Due to a lack of investment, concludes a study published this morning by the Montreal Economic Institute, quote, Canada's productivity gap is worrisome and has a direct impact on our standard of living. The less value that's created by an hour of work, the less that hour can be remunerated. They go on to say, um, the Institute explains that the Canada's low productivity is due to a lack of private investment. You just said that. Canada was at the bottom of the pack compared to similar economies as measured by non-residential private investment per job in 2018. And Mr. Brossard concludes by saying Canada's regulatory and fiscal framework is not attractive enough for investors, and our governments can try all they want to mitigate this problem with subsidies, but their capacity for investment pales in comparison to that of the markets. There it is. Yeah, and they, they're not the only ones saying this, by the way. <laughs> Just about every economic commentator has said something well, Catherine, similar. Well, Catherine, we can go back, what, 10 years when there was, a, there was, a, a, there was a, an investor who, uh, had, I don't know if they owned a hedge fund, ran a hedge fund, but it was somebody in, in Europe who in, had, I don't know, a trillion dollars. It was a massive, massive amount of money to invest internationally. And that person actually wrote a letter to the prime minister, Mr. Trudeau, and politely said, use your natural resources. Uh, give me a reason to invest in Canada. I've got all this money sitting here. I'd like to invest it in your country. But under the circumstances I'm living with now, it's not going to happen. Well, you know what, here you know we are. really perverse about this too, Roy, which makes me think, and, and should make many others think, that this isn't about the climate, and I've actually written articles on that very topic, is that if we were very proactive in our exporting of natural gas, notably liquid natural gas, to other countries, as you mentioned before, the Chancellor of Germany and the Pre uh, Prime Minister of Japan asked for, we would lower global emissions by way more than punishing Canadians by trying to get rid of a little minuscule part of our electricity, which is generated by fossil fuels. So yeah, let's go really back to let's go let's go back to that point, that? Catherine. Let's go back to that point. Eighty-four yeah. percent of our electricity is already produced without fossil fuels. Yeah, clean. Yeah, yeah. And like I say, Ontario's ninety-three. The challenge, well, I mean, this is politics, too. Let's not fool ourselves. Punishing Alberta and Saskatchewan is absolutely part of the game. And why? They don't vote liberal. What's interesting, though, Roy, and you mentioned earlier in your show, I was, I was listening to your whole show here today, and um, the Atlantic provinces, classic liberal vote land, mm -hmm. uh, are now getting up in arms. They have suddenly been subject to all the carbon taxes, which they weren't prior. Uh, other provinces were, but the Atlantic provinces were not. So they're suddenly getting hammered, and they're maybe changing their tune a little bit on their. Oh, I suspect so. You know, when no, you get up, when you get up one here. morning and your gasoline is 60, 61 yeah, cents yeah, a liter more, and that's a part of the country too. Uh, despite Christian Freeland's moronic statements about, oh, take a bike, take the subway. There's no subways in Atlantic Canada. This, and also, they're heavily dependent on tourism. And what do people do there? They drive. Yeah. Tourists there, they drive. Yeah. So, I mean, her idiotic comments were, were useless and dishonest in the extreme, because, of course, she's got a, a chauffeur and, and whatnot. In a, That's in right, and she uses the chauffeur, and the numbers came out. 
So the Global Mail story talks about two Greenpeace activists who scaled the CN Tower last summer. That would be 2001. Uh, one was Britain Christopher Holden, 24, and Montreal, Montrealer Stephen Gilbeau, 32. Although a prosecutor told an Ontario court judge the two men were remorseful, both expressed jubilation outside court about having drawn public attention to the global climate change and the need to cut greenhouse gas emissions. Quote, this was the climax of my effort so far, said Mr. Holden, uh, end quote. Mr. Gilbo told reporters the climb helped raise public awareness about the climate change, and he believes it influenced Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, remember him, uh, to decide to, co to commit Canada to ratifying the Kyoto Accord on global warming. Uh, the Canadian National Tower Corporation of 50,000 in losses from the stunt, according to Crown Prosecutor Calvin Barry. Uh, Mr. Gilbo was placed on one year's probation and ordered to perform 100 hours of community service in Montreal, where he works for Greenpeace, and pay $1,000 of the $3,000 restitution. So, Catherine, as you well know, Mr. Trudeau went and sought out Mr. Gilbo to run for the Liberal Party and then immediately make him, made him the Environment Minister, almost immediately. Yeah, hugely irresponsible. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, putting someone with such a narrow perspective and... And, and leaving him there. The cabinet shuffle did not affect Mr. Gilbo. No, no, I didn't think it would. No, I didn't either. So no, It was very deliberate. He, he very deliberately put him in that position. And like I say, it's not about the climate. If it was about the climate, they'd be doing different things. It's about punishing parts of well, look, Canada that don't Catherine, vote liberal. And, and, Ca uh, Catherine, selling liquid natural gas from Canada yeah. to countries that need it yeah. actually improves the climate's... It potential to, yeah. be, to be clean because it's ethically produced here. They need it. The other countries need it. it I, I don't know. Two and two still makes four to me. It, it defies belief, Roy. And like I say, that has to tell you there's way more about this than anything to do with the climate. But you mentioned Kyoto. I loved, I loved it when Kretchen said, oh, yeah, yeah, raw, raw Kyoto. And then he did absolutely yeah, that's right. nothing. Nothing, zero. Nothing that would ever be accused of trying to achieve the targets in Kyoto. However, the other however, Catherine, you leave something very important out. Oh, okay. Tell me, Roy. A subsequent leader of the Liberal Party of Canada named his dog Kyoto. <laughs> Good old Stefan Dion. Absolutely. He's the one. Well, that was probably a fulfillment of at least part of the requirements, right, Roy? I would suspect. Of, of Kyoto, yes. Name your dog accordingly. But, uh, but the joke is, of course, that's not, that's not a one-off. Everything we and other countries have supposedly signed up to, not one target has been achieved. Not one. Not one in the 30, 40 years that we've been dealing with this ridiculous situation. Kind of like, kind of like, kind of like our required contribution to NATO. Yeah, it, it's very much like that. But they talk a good game, though. Lot, lots of jibber jabber. Lots of jibber jabber. But China just pulled out of the Paris Accord. Did you notice? I, oh, yeah. shucks. Yeah. The biggest polluter what in the world. Surprise. It's basically saying, have a nice day, folks. We're going to build those coal plants like nobody's business. And they are. And if we exported natural gas, they could cut their emissions drastically. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.